Welcome to the first ever Global in the Granite State podcast, a program of the World Affairs Council of New Hampshire. My name is Tim Horgan, and I am the Executive Director of the Council, and I'm excited to bring to you this podcast. We will be taking a look at many international topics and how they affect the state. We will be meeting with foreign policy experts, international visitors, board, staff, and volunteers of the Council to give you a new insight into the world around you. In this episode, you will meet a visitor from the UK who came to New Hampshire in December of 2018. You will hear his insights into Brexit and what it means moving forward. We will also interview the board president of the World Affairs Council of New Hampshire to get his insights into the council. Finally, you will hear from the Economic Affairs Minister from Indonesia, who is placed at the New York Consulate, to get his thoughts and ideas about the relationship between Indonesia and the U.S. So let's jump right on in. We are here with Dominic Goody, the Policy Manager of the Food and Drink Federation from the U.K., He's here on the International Visitor Leadership Program, a program of the U.S. Department of State. Welcome. Hi, thanks very much for having me. So, can you tell us a little bit about your trip so far? I know you've been sort of all over the U.S., but give us a little bit of background on, on where you've been and what you've been looking at. Yeah, so it's been a bit of a whirlwind that I only found out about this about a month before I came out here. So the last two and a bit weeks have been a real blur of activity. I started off with a week in Washington, D.C., getting the full lowdown on federal government system, meeting my counterparts in the industry in D.C. and people from the agri-food chain. After that, we moved on to Arkansas, went to Bentonville to the the home of Walmart and a number of their suppliers, including Tyson Foods, travelled on down from there to Little Rock to start seeing some of the state-level activity in the food chain. Not forgetting Des Moines next, I think. <laughs> so we went on to Des Moines and we saw a lot of the production there, including farm cooperatives, the Farm Bureau, and some of the sort of regional producers in the heartland of US agriculture. From there, it was... The then on to San Francisco and Sacramento, where we saw probably quite a different perspective on things. And then we've arrived here in New Hampshire yesterday. So I did a little research on your trip, mainly through your own Twitter feed. I saw that you may or may not have had $500,000 in your hand at one point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was that was rather unexpected. So we went to the state capitol in, that was in Little Rock, I think. Yeah. Uh, and we went into the Treasury Department where a very nice man thrust $500,000 in my hands and I couldn't refuse. That, that must um, be an interesting experience. It, it, was, it was interesting and unexpected yeah. and all efforts to try and distract him to make a, a beeline out of the door <laughs> were sadly unsuccessful. Yeah, but, yeah. So, uh, yeah, great experience. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about your experiences, what you've been learning, what you're looking to get out of this program, and why you feel it was important to come on a program like this? I, I guess, I mean, I came here having only been to the USA for an hour and a half in my entire lifetime. Oh. I'd crossed the border at Niagara Falls once mm. in about 2000, and it was so cold in January, we went to the first <laughs> bar we found and had some hot drinks followed by quite a lot of cold drinks. So coming here really, I I came as an open book really wanting to just learn as much as I possibly could about the agri-food systems. 
I work with a lot of companies in the UK that are US parented, uh, global multinationals, but we have a very UK perspective because they're producing in the UK. And I came here to try and find out really how things differ. I know there's uh, different perspectives on agri-food policy and trade policy in the United States and wanted to better understand where both sides are coming from because with the whole Brexit discussion that's going on in the UK, there is a possibility the UK could have its own independent trade policy in the future. And one of the outcomes of that could be a trade agreement with the United States. And to begin that process, I think, of inputting to what we want, it helps to know what the other side is looking to get out of that. So I think that was probably one of the big things I was looking to do, as well as trying lots of good food on my travels. <laughs> you hit up a lot of good places for some different cuisines. Do you ha- do you have a favorite that oh, you've wow. had so far? That is a tough question to ask me. <laughs> I've, I've probably got a top three, okay. I think, so far. I had a, an amazing Spanish meal in uh, in D.C., mm-hmm. had uh, a steak in Des Moines that I, I, I wake up in the night dreaming about still, <laughs> and a Burmese meal in San Francisco that was just a dream. You are here traveling on your own. You've got your wonderful liaison, Bill Kelly, here with you. But it's got to be a unique experience to really be the focus of the program. How have the overall program felt for you? I mean, yeah, it's it's overwhelming being the focus of attention for all the meetings, but hugely beneficial that everything is designed really around what I want to do and what I want to see. So that's been a massive positive. I think it was described to me by the the good folks at the US Embassy in London who nominated me for this as being a double-edged sword, that it would both put me in the line of fire, that I would have nowhere to hide in any meeting. If if I ended up in a meeting that was of no use, I couldn't sit at the back and (laughs) stay quiet and avoid eye contact as as I might like to but on the other side I would see the things that I want to see and I would have a say in the program that the groups wouldn't necessarily have so so it worked in both ways but I think the the reality was that the State Department the local offices and the US Embassy really listened to what I said I wanted to do and they took it all into account and they organized a program of such good quality that there weren't the meetings where I was sat there thinking get me out of here I just (laughs) I don't know what this is all about. They've all been really positive and they've all offered so many different insights. Some that I wouldn't have expected going in, but interesting things have come out from every discussion and it comes from meeting good people. Can you give us a little bit of background? You said that you found out about this program about a month before you you arrived. Mm -hmm. What was was that time like? It it all went on behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. My boss went into a meeting and mid-meeting I got an email from her saying, would you be interested in doing this? Mm -hmm. And I believe the US Embassy in London had made contact with my chief executive saying that they were keen to put me on this program and to get their views. I think the timing couldn't have been worse because it's <laughs> such a busy time. It's all in the context of Brexit and right. all the, the political turmoil that's taking place in the UK at the moment. Well, we appreciate you making the time to, to come on this program. Mm. We, we know it's a big commitment. We've counted up the states here. If you include stopovers on flights, you've hit about nine states in 21 days. I'm sure it's been quite a bit to absorb all of this and and have it, you know, stick with you. But hopefully it hasn't all been work, work, work. You had any good cultural experiences? Yes, I have. And I I must say, in stopping off at those airports, I do count those very, very (laughs) much. I count that I've been to Chicago and I've done it extensively from my visits inside the terminals at the airport. On the cultural side of things, there have been some brilliant things that we've done. And I'm trying to wrap my brains back to the very beginning 
beginning because I keep forgetting mm. some of it and I'm really glad I've made extensive notes of the trip. From Alcatraz in San Francisco, mm-hmm. that was absolutely wonderful and seeing some of the, the history of that place and, you know, it's, it's somewhere that's iconic. I've seen it in so many films mm. since I was a child from Escape from Alcatraz onwards. One, one of the very best was one that the, um, the liaison Bill suggested, which was a jazz night in, in D.C. And it was at a community church just out in um, a couple of miles from the city centre, I think it was. And it was local community. It wasn't a place for tourists to come in. And the locals made that very clear when we were sat down there <laughs> having lunch, having dinner rather, afterwards in the sort of soul food canteen that they provided. They all just looked bemused of why is this British guy here? <laughs> How on earth did you find out about it? was right. the question that a couple of them asked. And it was just brilliant. It was genuinely feeling in the heart of the community. Okay. So I absolutely loved that. It was, it was something that will really live with me. Can you tell us a little bit about why this program is important? I I think it's just... A, a point where you can bring people together to really learn and I, I think there's not enough of that going on in the world at mm. the moment the chance for people to come along with uh, an open mind and meet Americans and, and uh, interact with them focusing on their personal interests or their professional interests and taking a bit of America back with them that they wouldn't have otherwise seen I think realistically if and when I next travel to the US it will probably be to one of the sort of tourist centres where I know people who, who live there or who've moved to live there from the UK and I've got to see a different side of the US that I probably think in my lifetime I otherwise would never have seen and I think that's incredibly important. You've mentioned Brexit a couple times. Yeah. I think you probably assumed this was coming and probably have gotten these questions quite a bit but can you give us your thoughts on Brexit and where it's headed? Where to start? I, I mean, it's it's such a live topic, and I've seen in the time I've been here, I've been telling everyone where I think it's going to head, and there's been a couple of curveballs thrown in on that. We've had a leadership contest, and our prime minister is still in job while we while we speak. Who knows what will change in the next twenty four hours or so? The outcomes of Brexit aren't clear, and I think my focus is on making sure companies I work with are as best prepared to deal with any eventuality as possible. And what we're looking at is the possibility of a no-deal scenario, which for food and drink uh, industry companies in general would be a really, really tough proposition because it would lead to very high tariffs on their products and it would present difficulties moving ingredients into the country for processing and finished products out of the country. So we're very worried about the possibility that that will happen and we're pushing very hard, working with government and more importantly, but uh, I think, working with other bits of the supply chain to try and have a really united voice saying we need certain as soon as possible so that the plans that have been enacted can be you know, targeted in the right ways and so that businesses can, can just do what they need to do. Yeah, I saw earlier today on the news that no vote until next year. Yes. So so the the phrase that has become, I think, very common in use in the UK is kicking the can down Mm. the road. And that's what we've seen frequently throughout this. And the reality is companies just want certainty. And and that includes certainty of a bad outcome. Mm. It would be better to have that than this Mm. continuing pushing back and wait and see, leave it another month. Because 
it's it's not very long until we leave the EU now. It's March of next year. Right. It's a few short months away. And in, in reality, I think business aside, it's about people and the people that work in our factories in, in the UK. About a third of them are EU citizens. Uh, and those people are really worried about what the future holds for them. And we as the industry and the companies I represent, their employers want to give them the certainty that they can carry on working here, doing the jobs that they like and playing a part, uh, an active role in the communities that they've come to the UK joined. We are here with Dominic Goody of the Food and Drink Federation in the UK. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. As a part of what we are doing here, we are looking to inform people more about what the World Affairs Council of New Hampshire does. In service of that goal, we are interviewing staff, board, and volunteers to give their experiences with the council. Here's an interview we did with World Affairs Council of New Hampshire board president, Steve Solomon. We are here today with Steve Solomon, the president of the World Affairs Council of New Hampshire. Thank you so much for being here with us. Oh, perfectly welcome. Could you tell us a little bit about your background, how you got involved with World Affairs? goes back a long ways. When I was 21, I went to Europe for the summer when I was in college, and I just was sort of intrigued by the rest of the world. It was so different in many ways from the places I knew in the United States, so it was very intriguing. I guess you might say I got the travel bug. And then after finishing law school, I traveled around the world for 10 months on a rather uh, skimpy budget, but it was a lot of fun. And in those days, there was no internet, there were no cell phones, and so you had to sort of find your way around in a creative kind of way. And we had some very interesting experiences. And I had a very interesting perspective on the United States and the rest of the world by traveling in so many different countries for such a long period of time. So then I came home and worked and didn't have a chance to travel very much, but I never lost interest in world affairs and would always reading and follow the news and just kept an eye on things. And then David Stahl asked me if I wanted to join the board, and I did. And I'm trying to remember now when that was. I suspect it was at least 10 years ago and maybe longer. Great. Can you tell us what first interested you about the council? I think it was mostly the the speakers program, because at that time we did not have IVLP. And I was interesting for me to come to hear people who had firsthand knowledge and information about world affairs. You could meet them and talk to them and ask them questions. People who had studied various countries or various issues and were there to ask questions of and to hear from. So I think it was that firsthand information that I really couldn't get anyplace else. Any particular speakers you remember off the top of your head? It's easier for me to remember the ones that were here more recently rather than the ones who came early on. I remember not that long ago, we had a talk by Ambassador Jim Smith about being the ambassador to Saudi Arabia. I found that to be very interesting. I think when you think about how history develops and how things work out, it's an interesting combination of individual relationships and those forces that act on people that go beyond the individual. I guess the old historian's conundrum of events that make history or is it the people that make history? I think it's obviously some combination of the two. So I think it's those stories about individual encounters between people in historical situations that were very intriguing and give you an insight as to maybe how things got to be the way they are. Why do you feel this work is important that we do? I think it's very important because the world is very, very connected. Whether we recognize that every day, every minute of every day, events that happen here affect 
what happens in the rest of the world, and things that happen in the rest of the world affect the United States. And for us to be informed citizens and just informed individuals as part of our own appreciation for what is going on around us, it's important to understand these things. So the council provides unique opportunity for people in New Hampshire to be able to meet and talk with people from other parts of the world, those who know about foreign affairs issues and events of the day, but also through the International Visitors Leadership Program to meet with people who will be perhaps leaders of their own country and to talk about and talk with them about their perceptions of the United States and what we see going on there. There's no substitute for that interpersonal communication. Well, so you bring up the International Visitor Leadership Program, which of course has a special place in my heart, but I know you've been a great home hospitality host, a very enthusiastic host for many of our groups. Can you tell us a little bit about that experience? Yeah, that's been really a lot of fun. I'm always impressed with the quality of the people that come. They're extremely intelligent. They're accomplished in their own fields. They're very, very engaging. They want to talk to you. They want to learn from you. And then we are able to talk with them about what's going on here in the United States and what's going on in their country. I had a group of people from Spain a few weeks ago, and they were all from Catalonia, which is that part of Spain that has trying to break away from the rest of Spain. They all occupied a different point on the Catalonian political spectrum. And what I found most interesting, aside from the individual issues that they were talking about, was how civil they were to each other, how they were very respectful of the other person's position. When I think about how people in the United States, at least as sort of filtered through the media, think about the positions that are opposing political positions, I found that the Catalonians, who really have no less divisive issues, were still very civil and polite to each other. I kind of wish we could do more of that here. Do you have any favorite stories of experiences that you've had due to your connection to the World Affairs Council? Well, if I have to come up with something on short notice, (laughs) which this is, I will tell you a story. A couple of years ago, we had a reception for a number of young European politicians. And at that point, I was planning a trip to Lithuania to visit the very, very tiny place that my grandmother came from about 115, 20 years ago, when she was just a little girl. And one of the people in this group was then the deputy mayor of Vilnius, which is the capital of Lithuania. And he was running to be the chairman of his party, which is a center-left party and a minority party in the governing coalition. I talked to him and we arranged to meet when I got to Vilnius. And so I did meet him when I got there. We had a really interesting talk. And between the time of his coming to New Hampshire and, and my going to Vilnius, he in fact was elected to be the chairman of his party. And we struck up a now and then email connection, which has been very interesting for me. When we met him in Vilnius, we talked about the relationship between Lithuania and the United States and the fact that the Russians are next door. They're very nervous about that. They're very happy to have a detachment of American troops there. And he also told me that about a year ago, the Chinese government invited several hundred European politicians to China where they were wined and dined and told by the Chinese that the Chinese would love to do business with them and that the Chinese didn't care what they did in their own countries as long as they had a good deal with the Chinese. So I thought that was very interesting because here I was able to meet someone who could be a very relatively significant person in his own country in an interesting part of the world with whom I could find out about things that otherwise I really wouldn't know about. Wow, that's awesome. Sounds like a, a really good friend to have. So it also sounds like you've, you've done a lot of traveling. Do you have a favorite place that you visited? The answer is no, but I have a, a number of interesting places. I would say East Africa, and looking at the animals is a remarkable thing to see, and I recommend anybody has the opportunity to do that. I, I once went to a 
small archipelago off the coast of Brazil, an island called Fernando de Noronha, which is a environmental preserve. They have limited number of people that go there every day and limited number of hotels. It's all sort of low rise and the uh, seas around it are filled with all kinds of little interesting animals that you can snorkel and see. And it's just volcanic islands, beautiful beaches. So I suppose that was rather idyllic combined with a little Brazilian music, which sort of made it, <laughs> made it kind, of, kind of fun. One last question for you. You are the president of the World Affairs Council. So how can people get involved with our programs? Well, the first step, of course, would be we hope to have you become a member of the organization. Then you would, of course, get on our mailing list and you get discounts to some of our events and come to the events. Sign up to be a home hospitality volunteer so you could host foreign visitors, which is, a, as I said, a remarkably rewarding and interesting experience. I mean, if you went to the countries where these people live, you would never meet them because they're off doing their thing, so to speak. They're working. And as a tourist, you would probably never run into them at all. And you would miss a lot by not having the opportunity to meet with them. Well, thanks again so much for taking the time to chat with us today. Again, we're here with Steve Solomon, president of the World Affairs Council of New Hampshire. So thanks so much. On December 11th, the World Affairs Council of New Hampshire sat down with the Office of the Consulate General of the Republic of Indonesia to talk about what is going on in that country and get a little insight into their history. Here's what we learned. We are here with Winato Adi, the Minister for Economic Affairs from the Consulate General of the Republic of Indonesia in New York. Welcome. Thank you. So... I know that you are doing a bit of travel here in the New England area. Can you tell us a little bit about your trip? Yes, basically the uh, Indonesian Consulate General in New York, we are in charge for the bilateral cooperation with uh, 15 states at the East Coast from Maine to South Carolina. And our visit to New Hampshire, of course, we would like to have close cooperation with the World Affairs Council Mm -hmm. to introduce Indonesia to the people of New Hampshire so that we can have more understanding and also more cooperation. So we are really happy to have you here. Really glad that you're looking to to build on the relationships here in the U.S. I know that you mentioned to me that the U.S. and Indonesia have had 70 years of economic and political ties. Yes. Can you tell us a little bit more about the relationships between the U.S. and Indonesia? Yes, next year will be the anniversary of Indonesia and U.S. diplomatic relations. 70 anniversary of Indonesia-U.S. diplomatic relations. And next year we will have several events, both in the U.S. and in Indonesia. As you know, Indonesia is the biggest invisible country in the U.S. because we are the fourth most populous country in the world after the U.S., and we are also the third biggest democracy on earth after the US. And actually we have a lot in common. For instance, our coat of arms, we, we have both eagle coat of arms and at the coat of arms we also have the shields and also the ribbons is very much alike. And you know, there are the saying uh, on the ribbon that the meaning is uh, more or less the same or similar. For instance, in the U.S., you have the E Pluribus Unum, Mm -hmm. out of many, one. And in Indonesia, we have a saying, Bineka Tunggalika. It is from Sanskrit words. And the meaning is unity and diversity. 
uh, we have also five basic principles in Indonesia and I do believe US also adopt the same in Indonesia five basic principles are first we believe in one God and secondly uh, humanity and the third national unity fourth we believe in democracy and fifth social justice so not only that during the second world war you know the general macarthur the commander of allied forces in asia and pacific has launched the biggest war in pacific through indonesian small island in maluku right and maybe not many american peoples know about that mm-hmm. and also indonesia and New York particularly, 350 years ago, these two islands were swapped by the Dutch and the British. At that time, Indonesia was occupied by the biggest conglomerate company, and biggest and the first conglomerate company in the world, mm-hmm. Dutch East India. And Indonesia was occupied by the Dutch, but only several islands, including one island, that was the biggest producer of nutmeg. We call it Rhone Island. And at the same time, the Dutch was occupied in Manhattan Island in New York. And then because at that time, the Dutch is more powerful than the British, the Dutch imposed an agreement with the British. We call it Breda Agreement, the name of small town in the Dutch, to swap these two islands. So basically, we have a lot of histories and a lot of similarities. So you are the Minister for Economic Affairs. Can you tell us a little bit about the economic ties between the U.S. and Indonesia? U.S. is one of the top 10 investors in Indonesia, but 80 to 90 percent of U.S. investment in Indonesia is in minings. So one of our goal here is to invite more U.S. investors, but from other areas. Mm-hmm. other than the minings. But since Indonesia is quite rich in minerals, so a lot of U.S. big company, they have an operation in Indonesia. So that is for the investment. For the tourism, U.S. is among the biggest foreign tourists in Indonesia, but we still need more American coming to Indonesia, not only to enjoy the, the weather, enjoy the Indonesian culture, but the most importantly is to increase the understanding between the two nations. And for the trade, Indonesia is among the top 15, the biggest trading partner of the U.S. And the top commodity that we export to U.S. actually clothes, shoes, but from the U.S. company that invests right. in Indonesia. <laughs> <laughs> what areas of the trade relation would you really like to strengthen? Yes, as you know, Indonesia is the biggest archipelago state mm-hmm. in the world. We have more than 17,000 islands, one seven and triple zero, and two-thirds of our territory is waters. Right. So the biggest opportunity in trade is of seafood. And secondly, of course, U.S. have a lot of high-tech product that mm-hmm. we need in Indonesia, aside from the agriculture product. We import a lot of soybeans, okay. yeah, and then also flour from mm-hmm. U.S. because many Indonesian foods actually based on the two commodities. Yeah. We also would like to export the Indonesian food yeah. to U.S. and also in creative economy, we would like to also introduce Indonesian culture, music, movie, etc. So the the room 
to increase cooperation and trade is, is widely open. You talk about food and that's one of the things that our international visitors that we bring through the State Department program love to talk about. They love it when they get to go into someone's home and share a meal and share conversations. Can you tell me what your favorite Indonesian dish is? I like nasi goreng or fried rice okay. because we can combine the fried rice with uh, seafood, etc. Okay. And then secondly, also the Indonesian satay. Okay. Yeah, satay and also Indonesian salad, we call it gadu-gadu, with what we call peanut sauce. Mm-hmm. You know? And yes, one day I will introduce you to Indonesian <laughs> food in New Hampshire. Well, very good, very good. Yeah, I know we have a, uh, a large Indonesian community in Dover and Summersworth area, so we're definitely hopeful to, to get them more involved in what we're doing here, and hopefully some of the connections we're making with you guys can, can yes. help with that. So one final question for you. Can you tell us a little bit about the challenges and opportunities that are facing Indonesia today? Actually, Indonesia comprises a lot of tribes mm-hmm. and race in Indonesia. But as I mentioned before that our philosophy in the ribbon is unity and diversity. We have more than 700 ethnics and tribes in Indonesia. Wow with more than 1,000 local languages. And also we have several religions in Indonesia. And also uh, Indonesia is the biggest Muslim population in the world. So 88% of Indonesian are Muslim. So it means out of 260 million population, there are more than 220 million Muslim. And Muslim living in Indonesia is bigger than Muslim living in the Middle East combined. But when we talk about Islam, then we turn our head to the Middle East. So lucky us, because in Indonesia we have a lot of holidays based on five or six religions. Islam, Christianity, Hinduism, Buddhism, and Confucianism. So maybe in Indonesia every year we have around 15 to 17 religious-based national holiday. So this is the very important for the government to keep all the harmonious living for the people with uh, different religious and beliefs. On the other hand, Indonesia also the third biggest democracy on earth. This year, we have direct elections for the governors, for mayors, and for head of regency. So in Indonesia, we have 34 provinces and also around 600 cities and regencies. Mm-hmm. So this year we have around 200 direct elections mm-hmm. from provincial level, from city level and regency level at once. Thanks God, that was peaceful. All right, well, that's a great way to end, I think. We'll definitely have to have you back to talk about the result once those come in later next year. So again, we're here with the Minister for Economic Affairs, Winato Adi, from the Consulate General of the Republic of Indonesia in New York. Thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure, Steve. We hope you have enjoyed your time with us and found our interviews interesting. To find out more about the Council, please visit www.wacnh.org.